Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... I actually met my wife on CatholicSingles.com, if you can believe that. Really? And about Yes, I had never done that before. Didn't have any problems with dating. Natalie and Aaron met on CatholicSingles.com after they realized that they needed to find someone who shared their faith. Meet other faithful Catholics on the original Catholic dating site. Download our app today for free. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.com. Dot app slash breadbox. Welcome to Liturgy Live for the fifth Sunday in Easter. I am Alana Berg, and with me as always is Father Ian Van Heusen. Welcome back, Father. Hey, good to see everyone. Glad everyone could make it uh, as folks start to tune in, and um, and you can kind of hear this and be seeing it online. And what I want to kind of do is we always do this opening monologue while Alana's sharing and kind of getting everybody connected to make sure that they know where we're at. One of the things I want to discuss more in the coming months and weeks and years me and my sister have been talking about a lot about leadership, particularly leadership within this crisis. So we haven't talked in a few weeks. And uh, so since then, there's been a lot of stuff going on, a lot of decisions being made, um, some good, some bad, some, you know, there's, there's a lot to talk about when it comes to leadership. But one of the things I really want to get into um, reflecting on today's gospel is the sense that Jesus is investing in his apostles. It seems so obvious that like, that people, you know, think, oh, well, duh. But if you actually start to get out into the working world and you actually start to, to be in a job, even if you work for the church, you'll actually be surprised at how little leaders actually invest in those underneath them. It's actually very common in a lot of parishes, and a lot of dioceses for bishops not to invest in their priests and priests not to invest in their people. And I'm not saying invest in terms of serving, like providing services. Since the thing is, is Jesus having a kind of free-flowing conversation. I'll be honest with you, the apostles are way more honest with Jesus than most of us priests are with our bishop. Very rarely do we have these kinds of long conversations with the bishop. And very rarely are they so unguarded. And I've been struck by that. In his farewell discourse, Jesus is willing to engage with them. He's willing to come down to their level, but also help them to try to understand the mysteries, try to form them as leaders. Um, You know, it's actually not obvious how to be an effective leader. And I think it's, uh, we've seen that a lot is it's not obvious in the midst of this crisis, who's being an effective leader and who's not. So that's just kind of a little bit of a segue. I'm not sure if we'll continue that conversation. I figured I'd open with that. What are your thoughts, Alana? That sounds great. I think it's definitely something that needs to be talked about in the church and in general, because I think there's, you know, lack in leadership training overall in the culture. Um, And what does that mean? And how do we go about doing that without that's not just self-help, you know, Mm because I think a lot of the leadership stuff is self-help stuff instead of mentor style. Yeah. Well, how do you wield power? How do you understand power? How do you understand change? How do you understand um, investing in people or, or leadership and management skills, right? Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of times they say you can only effectively manage five people. So who are the five people that you're investing in? Um, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's not always clear that people have that sense of who they're investing in and who they're not. Right. Um, yeah, so I have my key collaborators and just little things like that we do here locally is we do a, a meal every, sun, uh, every Wednesday 
um, where we get together the staff and the staff at Newman, the staff at St. Peter's and the missionaries. And we just kind of spend downtime together, uh, stuff like that. Um, and then just one-on-ones and meetings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's get well, let's get into the first reading. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everybody. We've been lo- gone for a while, so, and it wasn't because coronavirus. It's because I had the last few weeks of my class and I couldn't handle everything, so I just we put this on pause, and that's okay. So we're back, yeah. and we're going to go to the first reading, which is from the Acts, Acts of the Apostles. As the number of disciples continued to grow, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the twelve called together the community of the disciples and said, It is not right for us to neglect the word of God to serve at at table. Brothers, select from among you seven reputable men, filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we shall appoint to this task, whereas we shall devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The proposal was acceptable to the whole of the community, so they chose Stephen, a man filled with the faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procrus, Neoncor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas of Antioch, a convert from Jude- to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles they, uh, who prayed and laid hands on them. The word of God continued to spread, and the number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly. Even a large group of priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I apologize for butchering those names. Yeah, you're fine. Did you think of Timon like Lion King or something there? Yeah, it's something? like I, I don't know how to pronounce that. Besides, how it well, I think it is Timon. It's just you just like for the first time realized that Timon, <laughs> like, Timon mm-hmm. for the Lion King is also there's a Timon in the Bible. But so there's probably a Saint Timon. Well, that's probably him. Yeah. All right. Well, um. You know, it's interesting that the whole thing with delegation, people don't understand delegation, uh, generally speaking. So there's kind of two extremes uh, with delegation. One is you delegate nothing. So you try to pull the cords. You try to micromanage. So do this task, do it exactly this way, whatever. The other extreme that people tend to fall into is I give it to you so that I don't have to think about it. So like I don't manage it at all. Like I don't provide oversight. So like, for example, a classic case for Dallas and priests is, you know, we have the bills to pay and stuff like that. And, and I don't write the checks out myself, especially for ECU Newman. I don't write the checks out myself. Um, and I don't, um, but what you do is you put like safeguards in and you, you, for example, I always sign the checks. So my assistant doesn't sign the checks. So I see every check physically. It's like you build in those systems and procedures that you're monitoring things. Right. And that's a, like a, a simpler one. But but sometimes with people with with delegation, they say, okay, I delegate it to you. Um, I'm I'm going to have nothing to do with it. I'm not going to provide you any feedback. I'm not going to provide you any direction. I may not even know if you complete the task. I'm just kind of leaving it up to you. Right, which a little bit is a little bit dangerous. Oh, so, yeah. um, it can be incredibly frustrating too. Yeah. In this in this reading, what really stands out to me, especially, is the first thing that they're told to do is to, to pray about it, you know, mm-hmm. to select among yourselves the reputable men filled with the spirit and wisdom. Like those are the requirements. Mm-hmm. And, but they're not like select among, you know, men that have money or have stature in the community or, ha- you know what I mean? Like they're, they had to be filled with the spirit and wisdom. Like they had to be shown virtuous, but not necessarily like higher up in terms of like wealth or stature in, in the community, you know? So, so sometimes appointing people in the terms of the church, in terms of the Holy spirit, it looks different from the way of the world, the way you'd be like, Oh, well this person, you know, has all these degrees and has done all these things. And this person over here is just virtuous. It's like, how do we, you know, choose between people when we, when we, our leaders, you know? Yeah. Well, it's a classic question of like, who do you invest in as a leader? Who do you spend time with? Um, who do you give authority to and power to? Uh, I will say this. It's hard to, I think um, you're right in that it's not a sense purely of money or of wealth or of, of status. 
I would say more so in ancient times. See, in ancient times, you have to remember, we have to also kind of gauge is the idea of social mobility, which is in America, it's a very rare situation in the past 100 years where in societies like America, people are able to move up the social ladder much easier than they were in the time of Jesus. So, so you might have, I mean, we actually see this a lot with our Mexican immigrants. We work a lot with Mexican immigrants and you'll have many people who will come here um, and for the most part, they might be what you might call illiterate or uneducated for the most part in terms of book learning, but it's clear they have natural intelligence. It's just their opportunities within Mexico are very limited. So you might have somebody who works like a, a farm worker or a construction worker that if they grew up in America, they might be like a CEO of a business or small business owner or some of them are small business owners. And so there's definitely, but you, there is a sense though I would say that you find those, what they, the army calls force multipliers, which is you have those people that, that have a big impact on large groups of people mm-hmm. and they're able to get stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then getting stuff done, I think is, is incredibly important. I think, um, how do I put it? You know, it's interesting. I was just reading an article in the Harvest Business Review where it talked about, are you effective in your job? And it talked about who could you contact? How deep are your relationships? It was all about relationships. And we talked about this before. I think I, I talked about this with you weeks ago, um, I'm, or I've talked about it in content. In the midst of this COVID environment, uh, this kind of VUCA environment, this volatile, uncertain, changing, ambiguous What's really come to fore is those who have solid relationships that were able to multiply what they did. And then there were some people that, for whatever reason, just were not effective. Does Mm -hmm. that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, you did talk about that. And I think something that you had said right before got me thinking about something and then I forgot. But when when you're talking about how the the force multipliers and about produce like producing the results like we would in the church how we would say that probably is the fruit of you know like how are you producing fruit spiritual fruit that is necessary for what we need right yeah i mean yeah agreed and also just on a simple level do you actually get done do you get done what you say in a way that's similar to what you said is there a certain consistency Mm because there are a lot of people who um they just can't get stuff done. I mean, you know, you you experience that a lot. Um, And there was one parish I was at, uh, I won't name the parish. They had an employee on staff. I think in the whole year that I saw the person working there, I don't think they ever worked much more than two hours a week. And they really just, they did nothing like absolutely nothing. Um, Yeah. And, and it it was like, they were making a pretty decent salary and it's like, yeah, they weren't, but so that's the thing is, is there's some people who can spin their wheels and they can create a lot of drama and they can even make it look like on paper they're doing a lot. But when all is said and done, they're not, they're not bearing fruit and they're not really being effective. Right. Yeah. And that's, and that's important to look at too, because sometimes the smallest things we do in the spirit have the most fruit, right? So sometimes mm-hmm. the things that don't necessarily take the most time, in the spirit, but we do them actually produce a lot of fruit, but it's really hard to gauge sometimes when we're seeing it from the outside, um, how to really look at that and say like, okay, well, which thing brought the fruit, you know? I I think, I think a good way to understand and try to discern how, how, what you, how you feel the Holy spirit working and, and what you feel called to do is really work on eliminating other voices and trying not to get validation from other people as much. I know I'm guilty of trying to get the validation as much as the next person, but I I've been in situations where I have convictions on what happened and what the reality was, but nobody who was in the situation would ever have said it or confirmed it. So I I've talked to you probably about this before. I was at an assignment once as a priest and um and the assignment was on the steady decline for years before I arrived. It, it was well documented. It was on steady decline. The only thing that changed, and it's not just me, but it was also I was preaching in English, and my English was good, and, and I'm a decent preacher. And everything changed, and everything started to grow dramatically. 
And, you know, I got a lot of affirmation for parishioners, but nobody on the inside, nobody at the Dawson level or whatever said, wow, you really kind of had a huge impact. And all it was was really literally was just preaching and celebrating the sacraments, preaching and confession. That was the only thing that changed. A lot of the other things that were going on with the parish. Um, so it is surprising, like you said, sometimes what can be effective. Um, also, don't, I mean, I think one thing you have to kind of know yourself a little bit is um, know your temperament a little bit. Is I, I see the deacons in this role, is they're kind of the behind the scenes people. And, and, and if you have that role, first of all, if you're like me and you're a high extrovert, realize that you need those people behind the scenes. Like I'm not very detail oriented. If I didn't have Sylvia, my assistant, I'd be in a world of trouble. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I definitely rely on her to track details and, you know, I throw stuff at her and, and, you know, um, and I'm very spontaneous. And the joke is with, you know, you, I don't know if you heard Tim and them joke around that, you know, I expect people to read my mind and I don't really, but they just make fun of me. Like <laughs> the way I communicate things, but, okay. um, yeah. Um, but what was it? Where was I going? Is really knowing yourself and knowing your strengths and where you sit mm-hmm. in the organization. A lot, of, so a lot of discernment and boundaries, I think, too. Like, it has yeah. a lot to do with, like, what am I going to be responsible for? What is, what is God calling me to be responsible for? And how do I take care of that? Versus, and, like, how do I hire other people in a team to help me take care of this responsibility, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely, absolutely. And, and lead in that way. And lots of self-knowledge, right? Um, there's things I do that I, I'm pretty sure... I would not advise anybody to do like I'm always responding. I respond to messages pretty quickly and I I respond to text messages and emails and everything kind of on the fly. I know, I know from everybody says that not to do that, but it's just like my temperament. It doesn't bother me. Like, cause I've talked about that with people. Um, Like, does it bother you if somebody text messages you at like 10 o'clock at night? Like not that like you think, why are they text messaging me at 10 o'clock at night? Like, but if somebody from work or something or random, like text messages at 10 o'clock, does it like bother you to your core kind of thing? Like disrupt your peace? I think it would only bother me to my core if it was required that I respond within like five minutes with the, you know what I mean? Yeah. If it wasn't required to respond, it wouldn't bother me. But if, it, but if it was like, you have to be on 24 seven and respond all of the time, that would, that would be a boundary problem for me. Now, if I did, if I was like, oh, I know the answer and I can respond and I'm awake, not a big deal, you know? But I think yeah. it's, it's the expectation. Like, what is the expectation um, for reply? Because that's where people have a hard time with boundaries, especially when it comes to text messages and parish life. It can get overwhelming. Yeah. So. See, I, for me, I text messages all times a night, day, and um, as everybody knows me, knows. But also, I, I receive text messages all the time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really bother me. Like, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but if, if, but if you weren't able to get back right away, people would understand that. Exactly. You know, it's, it's the expectation on the other end that I think that causes the most um, problems. Yeah. Which I don't think I've ever, well, I've never, I don't think I've yelled at anybody who works for me. Well, no, that's not true. <laughs> I yelled at, I yelled at a group of folks uh, a few weeks ago, long story, but, um, but it was all as a group. I wasn't like yelling about specific behavior, but I've never like lost my cool with an employee over like a drop message or a drop. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of my style is though, is we have, I mean, one of the things I've learned over time is if you can keep it pretty cool and positive and moving in a positive direction, you can get a lot done because everybody's working harder than they normally would. Right. And, and that's, it's, yeah. It's when, they, when there's that, the positivity and, and really the, um, everyone's working towards a specific goal and it's kind of an ex, something that's exciting to do also, like that you, you put that motivation mm-hmm. in there. It really does make people work harder than they normally would on a normal, normal day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause they feel appreciated and they feel like they're working something that's important, you know? Yeah. Which contrasting my current assignment with some of the situations I've been in before, that is the fascinating dynamic. It's, it's not, it's not forced on by anybody. It's not forced on by the pastor, by myself here at Newman or at the parish where I'm at the parish. But most of the, most of the people work extra hours because they feel appreciated and they generally feel supported yeah. and they care. They love what they do and they care about what they do. I've never, I've yet to, inca- well, no, there's a few folks, but 
the, the, there's a few folks at the parish that kind of like check out and like, you know, don't, they, they get really testy about their own time, but the key people, yeah, it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. Just interesting with that. And especially here at Newman, it's just, um, but like you said, I think a big part of it is also how do you react? Um, you know, how do you react when somebody doesn't reply or how do you react when, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. When they're, when something's actually going down and you need their attention. Yeah. So, well, let's move on. Let's move on to the next. Yeah. See. And just to tie it in, what we were talking about with is so in the, the, the deacons were really a layer of authority that the apostles set up, particularly for the sake of service and for management. Mm-hmm. In a certain sense, your deacons are like your business managers. So leadership, you, like, for example, I'm the leader of Newman, right? But that doesn't mean that I manage all of the details. Like, for example, there's plumbers coming, there's construction being done, there's maintenance that's being done, and there's checks that need to be written. Basically, Sylvia, who's the assistant, is kind of like a business manager in that sense. She manages the details. So I lead, and she manages the details. And most organizations, it's like CFO and a CEO. You have like, you have, you have the CEO doesn't manage the day to day normally. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we have one comment from Ryan and he says, Oh, hey Ryan. Oh, wow. What a pleasant surprise. Should we all reintroduce ourselves? (laughs) (laughs) I know it's been a while, but we're back and uh, we're going to move on to the second reading from first. I didn't shave today. I gotta shave now daily. (laughs) (laughs) Throw it back. Grow it. I am going to grow it back. Just as I mean, I got. I want to wait. I mean, the whole idea was for so right. that I could wear the mask. And everything. Yeah, I know. But when when it's over, grow it back. <laughs> I'm on the grow it back team. I don't know if there's a team. I just made one. So hashtag nice grow it back. All right. For real this time. First Peter, beloved, mm-hmm. come to him, a living stone, rejected by human beings, but chosen and precious in the sight of God, and like living stones yet yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it says in scripture, behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in it shall be not, shall not be put to shame. Therefore it is value. It's value is for you who have faith, but for those who without faith, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that will make people stumble and a rock that will make them fall. They stumble by disobeying the word as is their destiny. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own so that you may announce the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into this wonderful light, into his wonderful light. Okay, I, I really like this passage. Cool. So from Isaiah with a cornerstone. And um, it really, to me, this is really about how we also are part of the temple and a part of, mm-hmm. you know, the body of Christ and living stones um, to be built up mm-hmm. in, this, in this way. So... I really think that uh, we could, we could talk a lot about, you know, building into our spiritual house and how, how is this affecting this time we're in right now of waiting and how are we building up our spiritual house? Because we are a chosen race, a Royal priesthood, a holy nation that we may announce his praises. So like in what ways are we doing this? as leaders, as lay people, as priests, you know, like how are we encountering this time? Yeah. And do you have, do you have an, do you have an idea to flesh it out? Cause I, I had some other ideas. I didn't want to jump in. Do you have like, go ahead. I, I, go ahead. Going, okay. I can jump in. All right, yeah. here we go. Strap in. <laughs> yeah, I'm ready. So, well, so a key principle, when you look at, um, you look at the theology of De Lubach now, whether you, a lot of people have strong feelings about De Lubac, von Balthasar. And now this principle, there's some aspects of De Lubac and von Balthasar that I disagree with. Um, and um, I, I tend to be more on the traditional side, um, pre-Vatican II stuff. But there's this one point that De Lubac makes, which is a very good point, where he talks about the theology of the church, the body of Christ. And he says it's similar to 
the theology of when we get into the person of Jesus Christ, which is Jesus Christ is the archetype of all authentic theology. And it's his hypostatic union is a model to understand our relationship with the church. So the body of Christ is perfect and that it's joined to Christ. It's a divine entity, but it's also composed of humans. If we overemphasize the divinity or the humanity, we fall into error. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ, right? So if Jesus Christ, if we overemphasize his divinity, that he did not have a full humanity, that his, like, it was just an appearance, that's a heresy. If we obviously overemphasize his humanity, that he doesn't have divinity, again, heresy, right? This is the hypostatic union. And so he unites us to form us as the body of Christ. Now, one of the important qualities that, now, this is a little bit sensitive because you may have strong feelings about the canceling of masses. And generally speaking, me and Alana are on the same page that we felt like the denying of confession and some of the denying of the anointing was really immoral. I really am not in favor of that. But there is a sense that we mystically participate in the graces of the mass by spiritual communion, but also by our being incorporated into the body of Christ. So even though we're not able to be physically present for the Mass, it is sound theology that those graces overflow us, that our participation is not just about being physically present. This was the whole idea of the morning offering, right? So we would unite our sacrifices with the sacrifice of the Mass, which is being offered for the people by the priest, even if people are not able to be present. Um, so even if you're not able to be present, you're uniting your sacrifices with the sacrifice of the mass. Now, of course, I think this has been a little bit abused in recent times. There is something about there is something about our physical incarnational nature that we need to be physically present. Like there's something about it that if we're not receiving the sacraments, our, our bodily nature and the nature of time and the nature of our incarnational reality, it'll weaken our faith and it'll weaken our spiritual health. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But let's not fall into the other extreme, which is that, that, that some of the points w- were invalid. Does that make sense? It does. Your screen is uh, frozen. Frozen. Oh, and that's a very funny face, too. <laughs> All right. I didn't, you really made such a good point that I didn't want to interrupt you and be like, ah, oh, geez. weird face. <laughs> weird face, let's guys. Let's try this again. Sorry, guys. I'll see uh, if you can try. refresh uh, his screen. So we'll switch to this screen for a second, and then we'll switch back, see what happens. All right. Uh, let's see. So technical issues, because you know we got those yeah. tech demons. No good. Exercise the computers. Uh, let's see. Yeah. So there okay, you go. now we're back. You're back. Uh, yeah. Just what it Ryan, is, is. I got to get. Ryan I says he a took new, a screenshot I get of some it. New gear. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, man. When you're working, I'm working with Tim and all these PC sound guys. It's all about gear, man. Everybody's got, they just sit around and they talk about gear. It's so funny. It's like, <laughs> but I need to get a new, some new gear, basically. Yeah. All the gear. I just have normal gear and I just do what I can. With look, my how sweet that, look how sweet that video quality is. The uh, audio quality. You got a fancy lapel now. Dude, it's, it's sweet. Nice. So, <laughs> you were saying. Camp. I was okay. So, I was saying we're talking about the body of Christ and being incorporated into the body of Christ. Well, this is also the sense of the contemplative vocation. The mission of the contemplative is for the body of Christ. Paradoxically, the hermit, the one who's isolated, who's praying for the, the church, is offering a sweet fragrance that overflows and fills the church. We've always understood that the contemplative vocation is the highest vocation. Now, I always understood that. I realize a lot of people in the mainstream church right now probably don't get that. Because like I was talking to my dad once. I was like, well, the contemplative vocation is the highest vocation. He's like, what? No. Like the serving the poor, that's the most important thing. I'm like, ah, serving the poor is important, but no, the contemplative vocation. Mm-hmm. You, can, you, can, you can have prayer without – we can have prayer and be um, your vocation be tied up with prayer completely, but your vocation cannot be tied up completely with works. If it, has you're to be, at, it has to be, everything you do has to be rooted in the prayer. In prayer. To be an active contemplative or to just be a contemplative. That's where I, that's how I like to distinguish. Yeah, exactly. And if you're active and not contemplative, that there's problems. Yeah. So. So. Yeah. All right. So what, what, what else? Well, I'm just dominating the conversation. What, what do you got to? 
Well, I obviously was distracted by the face, uh, and then got <laughs> we had technical issues. <laughs> a lot of ladies are distracted. No, I'm just <laughs> and now you have jokes, so it's like you know, welcome back to Liturgy Live, everyone. <laughs> um, yeah, and I really okay. One of the things you said about being incorporated into bo- the body of Christ and how that's a reality and bringing it into the morning offering, I really think that that was touched on a little bit with the spiritual communion, but it hasn't really been fleshed out in what I've been seeing on online, you know, on all the mm-hmm. online stuff that I've kind of, I haven't really been too engaged with the final studies, but, um, but really being able to have the, um, the thoughts of the actual reality of us being incorporated together, even if, even if we're not able to be at mass, you know, and how, how we still receive graces, even though, even if we're not there, especially if we're praying with the mass. Yeah. So, okay. Now I'm just going to rip off the bandaid. This is precisely the problem with bad communication, Mm -hmm. Um, bad communication and bad leadership. All these ideas should have been, pumped out i mean the the crazy thing is is we how much how much content how much stuff did we pump out on like a shoestring budget right yeah like and right when it happened it was like every every day before i had to like check out because my leadership skills are still lower level i had no you know yeah no no you just had had to work on your your master's degree well we're still putting out weekly content and we could we could very easily actually nobody is Nobody in this crisis has been working full-time on media and we've put out more content than most dioceses. Mm-hmm. And not just like content, content, like, Hey, let me tell you about the catechism, but stuff that like is actually addressing that. What's yeah, happening. Mm-hmm. What's and, happening. Not to too long. But... No, but also in, in ways that other people aren't talking about. Yeah. Or avoiding talking about. And we are ripping off the band-aids today, right? Just, just laying it all out there. Well, you know, cause you know what I started to realize this is this is the beauty of it. We have our supporters, we have the people who pay attention to us, and we we fly under the radar enough that like like my bishop's not going through every liturgy live and finding out like what I'm talking just as long as like people don't write to my don't write to my bishop. <laughs> um but but I mean but we're not I and I would say actually to be fair even if my bishop was paying attention, I don't think I'd be ashamed of anything we're saying. I, don't, I think we're being pretty fair. Yeah. Calling people to leadership, calling people to be courageous, calling people to uh, know the reality of what we're in versus what someone, you know, the culture is presenting us with one thing and, you know, we actually have to know the reality spiritually of what we're actually in and how to relate to one, one another. And one of the things that, um, has really been happening that I've been seeing is that we're all in a, in a sense grieving on some sort of level. And there are a lot of people who are not prepared to encounter people in grief and, Mm -hmm. and, and it's communication has been pretty poor on that level where, where people are treated in a way that it does not show understanding of the grief that they're going through. So Absolutely. as part of leadership is knowing how to communicate what you need to communicate and communicate, communicate, communicate. Cause like, for example, how many bishops, if they just did like what we're doing with live, they had a host and they just walked people through and talked with people on a regular basis, even like weekly or every few days, right. how huge of an impact that would have had. Um, yeah. Cause what I found is, is the place that are communicating a lot, and they're communicating on a regular basis, people are really not as upset. It's really, I, I've, I've heard it from multiple angles. I've heard it from multiple sources. I mean, even, I've only gotten in all of this from a parishioner here, somebody who I like interact with on a regular basis. I've only gotten one really nasty email, two, two emails from the same person. And both times they were like so far out there. I mean, the guy's a nice guy. I know him well. But it was like, man, you know, you're not even paying attention to what we're doing here locally. Because he was like talking about, he's talking about stuff like he had read in Church Militant about mm. like Florida or like mm. Michigan. I'm like, yeah, dude, we're in Eastern North Carolina. Like, it's a completely different world. Like, how, what have you been paying attention to? Yeah, um, and that's also him 
dealing with his grief. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it, this is how grief comes out. And, yeah. and sometimes it comes out that way in public or they write it publicly. You know what I mean? And to, and responding with grace and understanding of that, this might not be what, this might be just like a way of someone dealing that they don't even know that they're going through grief, you know, and that they're just dealing with these emotions that they're having in a way that probably isn't the best way, but as leaders, we have to respond in ways that are charitable so that we don't push them away more because they don't understand what they're going through, you know? Yeah. And, and to piggyback on your point, one of the things I had an insight my first five years very rarely do people give you feedback the way you want it. You very rarely, there's that rare person that's very considerate that waits for a good time and, and doesn't like make accusations. Most people, when they give you feedback, it's negative, it's nasty, it's emotional, it's volatile. And like, you have to fight the reaction to be like, you're wrong. Like, you know, like what you're stupid or whatever, you know, like they have to fight that temptation. Um, But I've I've learned that over time. And I think it gets to your point, which is that's the big thing that ticks me off to no degree about people on Catholics on social media who have big followings like influencers, public figures. They take the troll behavior and they magnify it. And they put like, like everybody's like these trolls and every now and then, cause a lot of times I hate to say, I agree with the trolls. I agree with where a lot of trolls are coming from about some of the points they're making. I know that cause I know a lot of people who are troll like, and I know that a lot of times it's coming from a place of mental health, mental imbalance. But sometimes I want to text back and say, you know, they have a point, like <laughs> they may not be saying it well, but I kind of agree with some of what they're saying and then, or, or you're, you're characterizing it based on this one outlier when there's a whole bunch of people who disagree with you or disagree with your position that are far more reasonable, but like you're alienating because, you know. Yeah. Well, they, they, they respond to the anger attached to the point Yeah. versus just responding to the point, which is really difficult. And it's not something we've actually worked on really hard as a culture to respond to people with grace and to respond to people with um, are like actually how to argue and actually how to just refute points mm-hmm. instead of bringing down people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, our cu- culture has really made people who are, you know, destroyers of, you know, whatever, you know, they, those are the things that are held up as, you know, the things to do in conversation, which is obviously, not helpful at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a little, a little tricky. Well, cause I know a lot of times, um, the one thing that a lot of people respond negatively to, um, is aggression. That's a, that's a tough thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's really hard and it's, I mean, let's see if I can bring it back to the yeah, let's get, let's get into the gospel. Now, this is a good tangent. Okay. I think we, we exhausted it. Yeah. It's time. Uh, hold on. Comments. Um, Ryan is, had some, has some comments about your face. Uh, he says My classic, face? classic face. He took a screenshot of it and he says, uh, you all, you all were doing zoom meetings before zoom was popular. This is true. Dude, we are always, we're always, yeah. <laughs> not to toot our own horn, but thanks Ryan. Um, <laughs> My kids knew not to uh, interrupt Zoom meetings before normal people had to deal with it. <laughs> um, and, and Janelle says, just realized that Arlo is harding all over this combo. We do love you, though. <laughs> so her son is pressing the heart button. I'm glad it's a hard button. So. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wasn't no. sure what was going on. Yeah, got no. it. No, hey, she's... just keep doing that. Keep doing that, man. Yeah. He can press the heart all he wants, but not the angry. Okay. And comment. (laughs) Thanks, Janelle. Um, All right. Let's get to the gospel. I miss our conversation so much. This just makes me, it's like, makes my day. (laughs) It is good. Um, All right. From John 14. Jesus said to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. You have faith in God. Have faith also in me. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. 
If there were not, I would have told you that I, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and take you myself so that, so that where I'm, I am, you also may be. Sorry. I obviously don't have my glasses on. Thomas said to him, master, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. If you know me, then you will also know my father. From now on, do you know him and you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Master, show us the Father, and what and that will be enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do. Do not speak on my own. The Father who dwells dwells in me is doing his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe because of the works themselves. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones than these because I am going to the Father. Okay, sorry I butchered that. Um, okay, so a few things. Um, the very end, it really ties back to Elisha and Elijah because Elisha got a double blessing after Elijah mm-hmm. w- went up. And, and so Jesus is telling us that because he's going to the father and sending us the Holy spirit, that we will be able to do greater things that he did. He does. Like that's, that's always a pattern. So that's a pattern within the church. I think we've talked about this before. The, 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 the second person in the succession exceeds the first but the first's glory is greater for some reason so like elijah and elisha everybody knows elijah mm-hmm. does anybody really talk about elisha i mean really in the new testament not really right elijah is mm-hmm. the main figure so there's david and solomon we talk about solomon but really david is like the main figure right so then there's also who else there's a few other patterns elisha elijah um then there is um oh moses and joshua mm-hmm. so Mm-hmm. So there's a sense that Joshua exceeds Moses. Um, and then, then there is the, the, the church and Jesus Christ. Um, and, and of course, Jesus Christ is the center. He's the foundation. Um, but yeah. Right. So, so I really, I really like that tie in because with our faith, through our faith, we can do great things through Christ. You know, who is in the Father, and the Father is in him, and who we are also connected to through his death and resurrection and through our baptism. Um, so I just, I really like that because sometimes we have a hard time, I think people have a hard time believing that there's power in, in those, yeah. you know, in, in, in doing these works of, in Christ. Well, and I think also a big challenge is how do we understand true power and true glory? Um, so one of the topics I've been getting into a lot, I've started to realize how to explain it in a very simple way that was that's like all coming together in my heads is the importance of the, f- the field of metaphysics. So you may, uh, did you cover this at all in your formation? Uh, it, metaphysics? Yeah. I took a metaphysics class before formation. Before. Yeah, like a philosophy class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's often not integrated through all theology, but if you really look at Aquinas, who is the best. Now, my sister was making fun of me about this. She's like, you always reference Aquinas. I'm like, because he's awesome. <laughs> of course you have to reference Aquinas. But there's always that distinction between the physical, the intellectual, and the metaphysical slash spiritual. So what is glory? If you think of glory in terms of the physical, you end up with the idea of the superhero, Right who can just break through windows and like crush things and like destroy things. Right. That's the physical understanding of greatness and glory and power. And Jesus in a certain sense fulfills that he heals, he walks on water. He's a master of the physical universe. Right. So he, there's a sense that he does fulfill that, but then there's the intellectual, like is the intellectual so much about a conquering? It's the man of virtue. It's the virtuous, but it's also the, the enlightened, if you will, 
the one who understands reality, the one of wisdom and things like that. And then there's the purely spiritual, which is moving with the Holy Spirit. It's contemplation. That's the metaphysical. That's the deeper. And oftentimes I think what it is is we don't understand what does it mean to exceed Jesus. There's a sense that we don't exceed Jesus, but what is the sense that we will do greater things? It's not just that we'll do greater works according to the flesh, but that we've been given the spirit. Right. We'll be Uh, able to work through the spirit in that way together with Christ. Is that making sense? Because for years, metaphysics is a very hard concept, but even think about it this way, metaphysics, Jesus points to the father, right? He has a physical reality that we can make paintings of him. We can represent who Jesus is. And by the way, I do believe that most of our art is accurate. I don't take the whole view that Jesus had a bigger nose and he had browner skin. I think actually the Shroud of Turin and the way we paint him in icons, especially the first like a thousand years, is like I think the tradition is actually accurate. Um, but that's my, my little rant. But we can touch Jesus but the father is beyond all things. There's a sense that that's the mystery of the incarnation. He, he, Aquinas describes it as a movement from visible to invisible realities. And we see this pattern play out in all of the sacraments. You touch the Eucharist, you see bread, but through faith, you recognize Jesus as present body, blood, soul, and divinity. And then you enter into the mystery, which is beyond the concepts and beyond. You enter into that relationship with the Father, which is extra sensual. It's beyond sense experience. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. And and would do would you think that a human that doesn't have any divine qualities, um, a normal human being, having the ability to be united to, to God through Christ, do you think that would exceed? the works like is that would that be part of real question because i don't this is something that came to my head like would this be doing something greater because we don't have the natural ability we we through faith have the spiritual ability to be united to christ yeah i'd be curious how aquinas deals with it i mean i I think there's a a possibility that we would say it's greater and that the transformation is greater, right? So what is Christ by nature becomes ours through grace. Right. Um, So for him, it's a part of his nature. For us, it's a miraculous transformation of our nature, Mm -hmm. which, which we would have to go because he's already God. He doesn't, you know what I mean? So our, for us to transcend in that nature, it would be a bigger transformation, like a a more, even more miraculous transformation. I don't know if that's true. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I think it would always, always like you'd always have to parse out what do you mean by more. Check me. Yeah. No, I think. I mean, I think it's reasonable. I mean, what we're not saying is we're not saying that we're greater than Jesus, no. um, or that we're we're more powerful than Jesus. But there is a sense that he does say that, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, something to I, ponder. Something to contemplate. I, yeah, I think what Aquinas would say. My hunch is that some, Aquinas would say something where he'd make a distinction. He would say in our nature and in our acts, we cannot be more, greater than Christ. But in what God does in, a, in us, it is, a, like actually I think what you said, like the, the, that makes perfect sense. The, the, the amount of transcending is... Well, that's like, for example, good. like let's say, let's say somebody, um, let's, uh, let's say somebody is in relatively good health and they're just a natural athlete, and and, and they, they excel at something. You would say you would you might say if there's somebody who's 300 pounds, let's say they're addicted to cocaine and heroin, and let's say they kick their addictions, they lose 200 pounds, they lose whatever 100 pounds or whatever, they become an excellent athlete. You would say that the transformation was greater, correct? Right. Almost near impossible, actually. I mean, those circumstances I described. Good luck with yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that but happened. but you but you made it to a point where like the amount of necessary like grace and perseverance and virtue would have to be more to overcome certain stumbling blocks, right? Which in faith yeah. there are for us humans um there are stumbling blocks. There are there are things that we have a, a hard time with, you know? Mm-hmm. So the faith, the belief, whoever believes in me will do the works that I do and will do greater ones. 
because I am going to the Father. So it's like, it's not, it's not without him or not connected to him at all. That's not like what we're saying at all. It's, it's in him because he's ascended. Well, and also, I think the sense of Jesus's rhetorical style of, of, of hyperbole, because um, it's it's really not. It's I've encountered it with Lebanese people a lot, and I, I didn't occur to me until like a few years ago that like because it always bothered me when Lebanese people do it, um, and then you start to realize well that Jesus does that. Like for example, he says, "If you have faith the side of a mustard seed, you'll say to that mountain, move, and it'll move." I've never moved a mountain like physically and you say, well, he's speaking metaphorically, but it's more, he's speaking hyperbole. Like he's using an exaggeration. Right. Right. Well, and sometimes that things that we feel are mountains, you know, like a master's degree. Yeah. <laughs> takes a long time. You know, sometimes you have to move that mountain a little spoon at a time, <laughs> but, but with through faith and perseverance, you know, through virtue, it's important to, you know, it's, it's not, I don't know. I guess I see that in a, in a pedagogical way, you know, like, yeah. so in a spiritual, yeah. a spiritual way of, yeah, he's speaking metaphorically. He's speaking mm-hmm. hyper, hyperbolic. Mm-hmm. Just imagine that. I mean, if God said to you, you're going to do greater things than me. Like, Oh, wow. That's like, cause he's, he's speaking to people and like, they heard him say that and they're like, we can do greater things than Jesus. Like, yeah. Then he's our God. That's hard. I mean, I feel like that's, that's a hard thing to even like wrap your brain around. And it's right after them saying, so another thing that I was wanted to like point on is talks about, they talk about master. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like we always want to know like what to do and where to go. And, and we have a heart as humans have a hard time being led, mm-hmm. you know, led by the Holy spirit, led by other people, whoever, you know, and however the situation is like talk about being good, good leaders. Also, how are we, how are we to be followers? How are we to be the quote unquote sheep in the situation? <laughs> you yeah. know, like the sheep of that crisis, our shepherd, you know, we just had good shepherd Sunday cool. and we're not very good sheep <laughs> in yeah. that way. We want to know where are you going? Where are we, how are we going to get there? I want to know the way. And sometimes the way is given one step at a time. You know, and there's also the other extreme, which is I'm only going to do exactly what authority explicitly tells me. Nothing more, nothing less. Mm-hmm. So the, the both extremes are problematic, like my way or the highway. or the, So the, the scripture says, be not like a horse and mule, unintelligent, needing a bridle and bit, lest they will not approach you. You know, I do not call you servants, I call you friends. Mm-hmm. It's a challenge is to be respectful of authority, to be able to surrender but also to have courage to stand up to authority, which is paradoxically very difficult to do. Very few people balance that appropriately. Right. And Um, like you said earlier in the entrance, when you talked about how, you know, they're really honest with Jesus. And and I love how honest they are with him because they're like, I don't get it. Can you explain it to me better? You know, and we have a hard time even approaching somebody with that, I don't understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Can you explain it better? You know, it's like our pride gets in the way of um, even communicating on that level, you know, as people who, who are, you know, not, if, if you're not a leader or if you're not in that position, you know, and you have to like, you don't understand. And then that turns into anger or it turns into something else, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a problem. <laughs> yeah. It makes perfect sense. That's a, that's a good point. It's a good point. It's cool. I think it's a good place to end. To I think it's a good place to end. Yeah. You're like, and I'm done. Um, no, no, have, no. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, we have two comments. Uh, Gina Burns says, hi, Alana. This is my first time joining your live discussion. Thanks for joining Gina. And Ryan Joe says, hello to you. Like your discussion. Yeah. Well, she's my friend. <laughs> she's my friend. Uh, oh, gotcha. Gotcha. No, <laughs> she's the first kidding. person I knew in, in first Catholic. I knew in Idaho when I was in Italy. So, uh, um, Ryan says, if it wasn't for my good shepherd, I would have gone off the cliff a long time ago. Well, good job, Ryan, for being a good sheep. Absolutely. Keep being, keep listening and uh, being led by the Holy Spirit, by God. Do your, do your spiritual reading and listen to Father Ian. 
Hey, let's let's pray. All right. And Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, Heavenly Father, we just pray in a special way for all those who are sick or are dying, those who are dying from the COVID or those who are dying from other diseases at this time. We pray for those who are isolated and alone, for their the recognition of the Holy Spirit in their lives. We pray for our priests and for our bishops, our leaders, our Pope. I pray in a special way for a few intentions of people that reached out for for the relative of the Vargas family member who died, for the intentions of the of Han and Tan, and for um, for an increase of vocations to the priests and religious life. We ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everybody. When you sign out, can you stay on for a second? Sure. Hold on. All right. Hey, I want to check something. I think I have a theory. So this kind of camera, it has a 30-minute life. And so at 30 minutes, it cuts out. So I think what's going to happen in two or three minutes is it's going to cut out again. Is that what happened? Yeah, that's what I think. Um, Because it's happened before. I think it's just, I think it's the camera. So I just got to figure out how to work through it. Okay. Um, so let's just wait a second. Do you, isn't it so sweet? Like, yeah. Look at us. yeah. So have you not been able to get new glasses because of this? Yes. Like I, every time I checked the place is closed. I mean, I could get a new appointment maybe at a place that's open. Let me look into it right now while we're talking. I know that Costco in our area, our area is started to open up this week. So Costco in our area are seeing people, I believe. Yeah. So right now. Oh, they're open again. I can go now. But they haven't been for weeks. Yeah, that's why I figured. I couldn't find my glasses this morning today. I was like, where are my glasses? And obviously I struggled with it. No, there's oh there's one that's open. So they they opened one store back up. Okay. But it was like I just gotten my prescription with them. I was like, yeah. Well, I hope that they're quick. Yeah. So let's see what happens here. So we got a few minutes. But yeah, man, I'm curious to see what it looks like. Let me pull it up and see the live stream. I wonder, do you think the technology like Zoom has just gotten way better? Like behind the scenes, like Facebook, Zoom. I feel, um, like, I feel like a lot of it's improving a lot. They've probably put a lot into server. Um availability she because, for the fifth Sunday in Easter. Yeah. I am sorry go ahead it's okay um the I think they put a lot of oh there it is yep it, it, okay let me see there we go nope got oh, it that's we how go. we do it that's see? how I figured that's how I did okay I clicked the shutter oh uh, okay so you'll just have to like deal with it being so you just have to be near it, and then at 30 minutes when it freezes, I just hit the shutter. So it's a shutter like that. Right. And then I think it should go back. Yeah. Yeah. Does that happen when Tim's recording you? No, he has a different camera. Oh, okay. It's, it's, a, it's a weird regulation with this style of camera, the DSLR, mm-hmm. that it can, only, it can only record for 30 minutes. Oh, and then, okay. Tim, you said it, it's something about like regulations and um, like competition or something. It's regulation kind of thing. Yeah. I want to look at this real quick. Jesus is investing in his apostles. The audio is so much better too. Yeah, it's really good. You actually start to get out of the working world and you actually start to well i definitely glad we're back at this <laughs> yeah it's crazy i wonder i'll have to call tim and see what he says all right good talking to you Alana. yep ciao so take me to the fountain it's welling up it's
Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Have you ever been put on the spot and asked to explain or defend Catholic teaching on sensitive topics such as abortion, same-sex marriage, or the Eucharist? What to Say and How to Say It is a straightforward and practical resource by Brandon Vogt, best-selling and award-winning author of Why I Am Catholic and You Should Be Too. He offers essential tools for articulating even the most contentious aspects of your Catholic faith with clarity and confidence. You can get a copy of this important new book at AveMariaPress.com. Use code TALKFAITH to get 25% off your copy today. Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small-batch artisan coffee using top-tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic-themed coffees, available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash Redbox Media. Experience coffee like never before. 